Hello, misfits. Ooh, that was deep. I really liked it. You keep going. Hello, misfits. This is Kevin. And this is Kate. Welcome to Horrorwood. That was great. Okay. Yay. <laughs> I can I have deeper registers. I'm not just up here the whole time. <laughs> you have range. I have range. This is just where I sit naturally. Naturally. <laughs> We're here for part two. Part two of the exorcist covering. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Or the tubular bells. Do 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 do. Which are do. very much like the Halloween thing. Which is music. very much like Halloween. It is, you know, it's interesting of that time of film. Like those theme music, you know, especially when you get into the 80s too with slashers and mm. all of that, you kind of see a recurrence of those hmm. Interesting. types of themes. They were old maiden type of themes. Do you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> no one's going to know what that is. No, I don't even so, know what that is. Do you know um, Tiffany Pollard, who was New York on Flavor of Love? I do not. Okay, so she's hilarious and okay. amazing and actually like an LGBTQ icon now. Oh, great. But she was in Big Brother UK and she, <laughs> she I love this. I'm going to send this to you because I think you'll, I hope you'll find it funny. If you don't, then, you know, wh- whatever. you as a friend. Right. Okay. Um, but she is mad at one of the other housemates and they're all British. Most of them are British mm-hmm. and she's American. Um. And she gets in a fight with one of the housemates over, like, some shoes that the housemate gave her. Uh-huh. And she's really pissed. and She's yelling. But she goes into the diary room and is really, like... <laughs> I thought you said the diarrhea. The diarrhea room. room. And I was like, whoa, what was going on I have on one of those in my show. apartment. <laughs> um, but... <laughs> She goes to the diary room to like talk about it. I can't hear anything else now. It's just diarrhea room. (laughs) Diarrhea room. She talks about it and she goes pretty much. They're like, what do you want to say to Gemma? Who's the other housemate who she's fighting with? Mm -hmm. And she gives this like iconic monologue basically. Okay. And she's like, pretty much I would let Gemma know the shoes that she gave me were not particularly shoes that I would buy for myself. They were old maiden type of shoes. Oh. And she said that those shoes were meant to be worn by a beautiful woman. And if that's the case, she should have put them back on the rack. She should have never purchased them. And she goes on to like this long, like, she had feelings very about well-spoken it. monologue. And like, I am obsessed with it. <laughs> I like when I quote it all the time. Amazing. I wanted to start my retreat today for work and being like, pretty much I would let you all know the salary that you're giving me. It's an old maiden type of salary. <laughs> Sorry. that's a, You can cut that out if you want, Kate. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> old maiden type of shoes. So anyway. <laughs> Yes, we're here. Since we're doing LGBT talk, 
I have an LGBT themed story for you today that's also connected to The Exorcist. Oh, let's hear it. And I think, I hope you'll find this interesting. Um, I want to say, you know, last week we talked about the film, The Exorcist, the horrors, the tribulations, the lore, Mm -hmm. it being like the most scary movie, the scariest movie ever made. The crazy ass director who like put his actors through hell. hell, The production that took three times as long. Um, But I left out a big piece of trivia. Yeah, you left us on a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. One of the background extras in the the movie. That microphone just... It it almost spun around. (laughs) It spins around at the same time my head does. It just got weird in here, fools. Sorry. It did. Never apologize. I am... Anyway. At a loss for words. Yeah, that's what that looks like. Um, that microphone does spin. I don't know how to. Fix I think that. it's because I I pulled the cord. Oh, okay, my bad. But yes, one of the background extras in The Exorcist turned out to be a murderer and a potential serial killer. Ooh. When I say potential, yeah, I mean, what's the word? Alleged. Okay. Okay. I think I mean alleged. Like we don't know. We don't certain... know if he actually did some of the things that he might have like it's not it hasn't been proven got it we only know uh, that the story i'm about to tell you is the murder of one person oh okay. but there's possibly more but we'll get to that at the end of the story okay and this particular murder you're about to talk about Mm -hmm. did it occur before or after he was in the exorcist after okay so this is 1977 the exorcist filmed production 1972 and 73 and came out at the end of 73 okay day after christmas day at december 26th y'all most of the information here is taken from articles in the village voice okay by a journalist called arthur bell okay he was an out open gay report openly gay reporter that covered this subject extensively oh okay And links to the articles will be, you know, we'll make sure those are available. Great. Picture it. A picture. New York City. New York City. September 22nd. September 22nd. 1977. 1977. 36-year-old reporter for Variety. Okay. Addison Verrill is leaving Mineshaft. What's Mineshaft? An after-hours gay backroom bar. Oh, so probably like a really happening place. Mm, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Like a club? Club. Okay. I mean, when you say backroom bar, when we go back in history, there were gay bars, but there, you know, a lot of them, I don't want to speak too much on something I don't know a ton about in a specific area. Okay. But when I say gay backroom bar, I mean a place where gay men could go have a drink and have sex. Got it. If they wanted to. Not everybody went there to do that stuff. I mean, that's where the community was. And if you want to do it, then go for it. If you don't, then It was a place they felt that they could be safe. That they could be safe. Got it. And open with each other. So, Veryl identified as a gay man, but he wasn't out to everybody. Okay. And it was said that he had just two toes out of the closet. Okay. um, (laughs) It took me a second because I was like, he only had two toes? I need to catch up. I'm with you. Okay. <laughs> I also have only two toes. Just kidding. I have <laughs> ten. Maybe nine because one of them looks a little crazy. Well, I just ripped half of mine off. <laughs> well, the skin the between one. mine is coming off. That's weird. Kate, it's the exorcist. It is. We, dif- we dipped into something we shouldn't have and now we're paying the price. By the- all of our body parts just, just falling, falling off. off. 
And that rainstorm today. Also, we're just getting older. One could liken that to demonic possession. (laughs) (laughs) Everything hurts. Everything hurts. You love to lay in bed. I really do. Sometimes you'll just vomit at random occurrences. (laughs) Yeah, and it's really shocking. It's really shocking. (laughs) (laughs) No, but seriously, I ate some chicken like a while ago, and I don't know what happened. It didn't sit right. And I just walked into the bathroom, didn't feel bad, and then all of a sudden just projectile (laughs) vomited all over my shower curtain. Oh, man. And I was like, where the fuck did that come from <laughs> so i wiped my mouth off cleaned everything this is true i'm not lying. i believe you and i just went about my day yeah it's what you gotta do and then i you text vomit all my and friends you, move on. you vomit you look at it you mourn and then you move forward yes as you should with anything Verrill was born in hamden connecticut Studied at Princeton University. Okay, get and it, Vero. lived and worked in Africa for three years with the Peace Corps. Oh, wow. As a writer, he also worked on a screenplay for the movie Abduction, uh, which was about the Patty Hearst kidnapping. Oh, okay. Vero worked for Variety for eight years. So there's a little contention around that. I saw an article in the New York Times about his death where it said he worked for them for 10 years. Okay. So we'll say eight to 10 years. All right. He was in his 20s when he started there. Yes, okay. he would have been. Mm-hmm. Vero, uh, for eight years, he reported on movies. He did a lot of movie reporting. And he actually covered porn movies and how the porn industry was gaining popularity. Oh. So apparently he knew a lot of adult film stars and producers and reviewed both gay and straight movies. Yeah. Okay. So pretty cool. I mean, at that time. Yeah. I mean, there's a there was kind of an explosion of like porn in there that area. Explosion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 12. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, Kate. That's really graphic. <laughs> Any, yeah, no, but there's the, there's a documentary on Netflix. There was someone who was targeting people in the, in the adult industry in New York City okay. in the 70s, I believe, mm-hmm. when it was like all Times Square was. Right. Was porn theaters. Yeah. Highly, I forget the name of it. I, uh, you know, I think I've seen this documentary. There, yeah. I, I know the case that you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a serial killer. Yes. But I like, yeah, it's on Netflix. Look for it. Uh, it's great. So he was a very well-respected journalist, actually. Okay. Writing in a very tongue-in-cheek style. Okay. Since he wrote a great deal on film and not just porn, uh-huh. uh, he would often attend film festivals and events. Yeah. Uh, f- as a journalist. So Arthur Bell of the Village Voice, this is the guy who wrote the articles that I was talking about at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Arthur Bell of the Village Voice wrote that Verrill was once starstruck by Elizabeth Taylor. I love this story. I mean, who wouldn't be? At a film critics award party and was so, quote, was so taken by her, her, her beauty, that he dunked his tie into his coffee and... And his mother was his date to that party. Oh. Isn't that cute? It is. I love that. I mean, that's just this little sweet story. Like, he accidentally dunked his tie. He accidentally his dunked his tie, like, and he just had the probably talking tie. to Elizabeth Aww. Taylor and dunked his tie in his coffee. And his mama was there. <laughs> his mama was mama. there. Mama. Your mother sucks coffee. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, no, you're good. Um, Verrill was a fixture in the NYC gay bar scene. Okay. 
Uh, people knew who he was. Mm-hmm. He was very well respected. He enjoyed frequenting the kink bars. And not just because he was into like kinky sex or anything like that, mm-hmm. but he liked the attitudes of the people who were there. Yeah, because like, they were probably like, cool ass people. Yeah, they're probably really great people to hang around with. Apparently, he would find a table in the corner, uh, dark in a dark corner with his drinks, and uh-huh. people would just go over to him and talk to him yeah. and like have conversations. Um, and Arthur Bell wrote that Verrill would, as I just said, go to his favorite table in a dark corner and just sit there and dispense wisdom and gossip. Oh, yes. I love it. I do, too. I want to talk to this guy. In the early morning hours of September 14th, 1977, Addison Verrill was found dead in his apartment in Greenwich Village. Oh. He had been violently beaten and stabbed to death. Oh. Village Voice Ar- journalist Arthur Bell, who I keep mentioning, mm-hmm. learned of the murder and wrote a piece for the newspaper calling out the media for not covering murders of gay men in New York City. Oh, interesting. The media wasn't picking any of this yeah. stuff up. It was titled, There's Nothing Gay About Murder. Hmm. Around this time, other gay men in the city were facing dangerous encounters, violence, and murder. Mm-hmm. Bell was angry that it seemed like nothing was being done about it and nobody was talking about it. Yeah. Uh, Bell wrote about Verrill's murder, stating, quote, To this reporter, the oversight is unforgivable because of Addison Verrill's prominence and the nature of the crime. Mm-hmm. From what little we know, Addison may have had a fleeting relati- relationship with his killer. But more importantly, his killing underscores the vulnerability of a majority of gay men, especially in the early morning hours when the libido overrules common sense. Mm. But what is one to do? Give up sex? Stay at home and watch Starsky and Hutch? (laughs) We're all aware (laughs) that there are psychopaths roaming the New York City streets, and they don't advertise their intentions on T-shirts. Sure. When they zero in on gay men, the sentiment often expressed is they brought it on themselves. Mm. Bell's article stated that nothing of note had been taken from Verrill's apartment. Okay. This wasn't exactly the case. Oh. We'll learn we'll learn later in the story. Police detectives believed that the murder motive might have been maybe looking for cash or jewelry. Sure. However, it was known that Verrill didn't actually carry much cash on him. And the crime was not a break-in. And the doorman stated that he had not seen Verrill at all that morning. Oh. It seemed like the kind, it seemed like a kind of dead end at this point because nobody saw anything, nobody did anything. But I'll say that this is according to the police. Okay. Right? So we don't really know. So we don't like, really know what actually was going on. Yeah. And as we look through this, I'll, well, th- people knew what happened. Right. Like right. there there was a trail okay. and it just wasn't followed. On Thursday, September 22nd, 1977, Bell received a phone call, the Village Voice reporter, at his office. He answered the phone and a pleasant voice asked, is that your picture on page 23 of The Voice? I don't like that. No, Bell answered. That's Addison Verrill. Oh, no. The voice on the other end of the line said, it sure doesn't look like Addison Verrill. I killed Addison. Oh, Oh, said Bell. Then what did Addison look like? Better than that, the caller said. Look, I like your story and I like your writing, but I'm not a psychopath. Oh. Who is this? asked Bell. I just told you, said the man on the phone. I killed Addison Verrill. I can't tell you my name. 
I'm gay and I needed money and I'm an alcoholic, but I'm no psychopath. Oh my God. Right? Isn't that insane? Yeah. Scary. I liked the way you told that. Oh, thank you. Acton. <laughs> the caller then proceeded to give Bell all of the details about the murder. He had been at a bar called Badlands, a gay bar on Christopher Street. Okay. Drink every time I say gay in this episode. Ice cream, so good. There's a weird trend on TikTok right now of people going live and acting like a virtual reality, like... I do you know what I, I mean? don't know what okay, this know what motion is that you're doing. It's like you know how like in video games characters will stand there oh, and like undulate yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of. Yeah. So they're doing this and they're like, Thank you for all of the likes. Forty thousand. And on TikTok you can send little um tokens to people. Okay. And it pops up as like a filter on your video oh, for everyone to see. Yeah. And one of them is like a little ice cream cone. And there's this girl that keeps coming on my TikTok and every time someone sends her an ice cream cone, she goes, Ice cream so good. Mm, ice cream so good. I I don't like it. I don't either. But I watch it because it's fascinating. <laughs> so he had been at a bar called Badlands, a gay bar on Christopher Street. The caller said he was broke and hadn't had a drink in three months. Okay. He was an alcoholic. Addison was there at that bar, Badlands, and offered to buy this guy a drink. The caller stated that Veryl had drugs on him. Hmm. Cocaine, poppers, amyl nitrate. I mean, cocaine was pop. It was the 70s, so cocaine is flowing. Cocaine is, is very, you know... Out there. And amyl nitrate. I've never heard of that. What is that? Uh, so it's ca- for short, or it's called poppers. It's actually, le- I'm pretty sure it's legal. You can buy it. But it's a drug that uh, game, not just game men, and I'm sure like other people use it too, but you huff it out of a little bottle. And apparently it used to be used as VCR cleaner. Oh, gross. And it gives you this really like rush of... Um, a, not adrenaline, but this kind of really euphoric. nice hot, euphoric high. But it's also used, if you don't mind me getting too deep, you can, can feel free to cut this out, Kate. I don't know how much you want people to know, but it um, helps with loosening muscles in the area I... that you would want to um, engage in uh, anal sex. Okay, I, I saw where you were going there because you were very visual. <laughs> I bent over. <laughs> well, it didn't go that way. No, I'm <laughs> But no, I mean, it's still, it's a thing that's around. It's like a kind of a gay cultural thing. Oh, okay. Yes. And marijuana. So Veryl had marijuana poppers and cocaine. Okay. Sounds like a fun I night. mean. Yeah. <laughs> I am there. I wish I was at Badlands in the 70s. Maybe not, though. So they left Badlands, Veryl and the guy. The collar. The collar. At three, at about three a.m. Okay, and they headed over to Mineshaft. Okay, which is the bar from the beginning, which was on Washington Street. Mm-hmm. A bunch of people saw Veril and came over to him because he was so well known. They yeah. were like, "Oh, hey, you know, good to see you." I'm sure they wanted to have a little, you know, kiki gossip chat. Sure, it sounds like he knew all the hot guys. He knew it. I mean, he was a reporter in the scene. Yeah. So. His bar companion on the phone when he was on the phone with Bell told him that he didn't realize that this guy was such a big deal and he wanted more than just like unilateral unilateral sex with him. 
By more, what do you mean by that? So he wanted a re- basically like he wanted more than just sex. Okay, he like more of like a more, relationship. He wanted like a relationship with this guy. But he just met. He just met him, but he he liked him so much. Okay, and he was so like inviting and welcoming, and knew a bunch of people, and was obviously very confident. And this guy kind of latched onto that. I see. And was like, I want to do more than just screw this guy. Yeah. He asked Addison to take him back to his apartment. And Farrell was hesitant, but eventually gave in. And uh, they continued to drink and do drugs and have sex until about 7.30 in the morning. Okay, so they're just having a great time. Doing it. And see, this is where I'm talking about, like, here's the trail. Like, he, like, he was at Mineshaft. Right. There were a ton of people, people that talked saw to him. him. People saw both of them together at Mineshaft. Yeah. How can, I mean, I just, you know, this is on the police. Right. Like, you didn't, you obviously didn't. Or if you did, you didn't, you know, release any details right. to the public. It doesn't sound which like they followed up. It doesn't up. sound like they really followed up. But, you know, that's what Bell was saying when he was like, they brought it on themselves. Mm. So the caller told Bell that after everything was over, he really felt that things had not been reciprocated. And, quote, I wanted a lasting thing, something that would go beyond sex into friendship, a lover, or marriage. Whoa, I mean, buddy. Marriage. <laughs> you just met him. I know. You just did drugs and yeah. had sex. Living off the high of, of that, I'm sure. Let's, and he, he hadn't had a drink in three months, I'm sure. Like, Let's slow our roll here. Slow your roll, dude. Also, we've all, I've been, we've all been there. We've all been. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> like, I'm kidding. Oh, my goodness. I mean, like, wanting to be with someone who you just meet. I've definitely been in those situations. Well, sure, but, like, I don't go straight to marriage. Shout out to Marcos. I hope you're out there and having a really nice life. Oh, shit. It got real. Back to the story. (laughs) Sorry about it, Marcos. (laughs) He was wearing old maiden type of shoes. Uh, Yeah, so bye. I guess I'll just go on a cruise. The guy on the phone... To Bell said that he needed money and he hated rejection. Ooh, I don't like this. Yeah. He said the rejection set him off and he blamed his alcoholism for what happened next. Mm. He picked up a very heavy frying pan and hit Addison in the head with it. Jeez. He then grabbed a knife from the kitchen and plunged it into Addison's chest. Oh my God. You just wanted to marry this guy. He then rifled through Veryl's apartment and found $57, which is the equivalent today of $300. Okay. So, you know, take that. I mean, that's still not a lot of money at the time. Like, But to him, maybe it to was. To him, it was probably a fair amount. He also took Addison's charge card, passport, and some clothing. So there Jeez. were things missing from the apartment. But okay. it sounds to me like the police actually kept that behind as a thing for yeah i could see that right so that if they needed something later they need information for people to to provide to tie them to that murder right or the scene he bought some booze some drugs and went to the club baths a gay bathhouse which on further research was actually a chain of bathhouses that existed from 1965 to the 1990s to the 90s wow Mm -hmm. that's not that far back yeah and uh, the caller went on to essentially provide his life story 
to Belle, like over the phone. Oh. He said that he used to be very into the arts and wanted to be a dancer. Oh, no. We don't need you. He also divulged that he had a he has a wife in Berlin with a low mentality, and she didn't understand him being gay, along with a 14-year-old son. Okay. So this is really strange, Kate. I, I You like, think? I, <laughs> well, also... I this was only in one of the articles briefly mentioned and I find it really interesting that he had like a family over in Germany. Yeah. Where he was stationed um in the army. Oh, okay. I, did I mention that? I, I don't, feel like yeah, I don't think I you don't did. think I have mentioned that yet. Okay. Well, uh, so I'll just keep it there. Yeah, he had been in the army. Okay. So I'll get he... into it a little bit more. In, in okay, a okay. Bit. I'll save my questions. Sorry. No, yeah, I, I think that's just me. I should have put that there. But anyway, he said he wanted to atone for the murder on the phone, and but he didn't want to be caught. Um, buddy. After realizing that he probably gave up a little too much information. Like his entire life story. The call came to an, an abrupt ending. Sure it did. Bell went straight to the police. Yeah. Uh, this was certainly the guy who committed the murder. Well, yeah. And the police said that he knew information that was not provided to the public, like Mm -hmm. taking the credit card and passport. Yeah. So that same night, like literally, Bell gets off the phone with the murderer. He goes to the police. I think he's with one of his colleagues at his house. Okay. It's like 1130 at night. He gets a phone call. It wasn't the first caller, but someone knew oh and the caller claimed that he knew exactly who killed addison verrill okay the caller who bell referred to in the article as mitch which was a fake name just Mm. to keep anonymity said that he had been friends with verrill's murderer Ooh! imagine being friends with a murderer right no thank you who was an unemployed x-ray technician Bell realized this made perfect sense because of the confessor's extremely detailed description of the murder and the body. Mm. Mitch said that the killer called him the morning after the murder to say he'd killed Veryl. So this guy, this killer is just calling everybody. He's like, hey, I did it. Don't, I don't, I'm not trying to confess anything. Like, I don't want to get caught here, but just FYI, it was me. Exactly. And... This is where the murderer is revealed. Okay. 38-year-old Paul Bateson. Paul Bateson, you motherfucker. And his image will forever be a part of cinema history. Because he's in the background. Yep. The year was 19... The year was 1972. (laughs) And The Exorcist was about to go into production. Mm. With William Friedkin continuing his extensive research around both the scientific and the religious aspects of the film. Friedkin was at New York University Radiology to observe an angiogram. Oh. And search for extras to be in the movie. You could essentially do anything before HIPAA laws were in place. Sure. (laughs) Yep. So an angiogram is a diagnostic test that x-rays blood vessels. Mm Mm-hmm. This was achieved by sticking a needle, like in the movie, into the patient's artery. So when the needle hits an artery, blood would shoot out the other end of the instrument. Remember when they... Yeah. That's how they know they found the artery. It's because blood just starts shooting out. Isn't that insane? That is. But that scene was very realistic. Oh my God, that poor girl. 
She did, didn't. I mean, I don't think they were actually doing that. No, no. Oh my god. No. Well, I don't know. Well, like, yeah. Who knows? He was an asshole director. Right. So, so, so this guy Paul Batesman, he was an X-ray Bateson. tech. Batesman was an X-ray tech at that hospital. Mm-hmm. Oh, whoa. Yep, yep. Friedkin witnessed a spray of blood during the actual procedure and made the immediate decision to cast the entire medical testing team right there. Oh, interesting. This included radiology technician. Paul Bateson. Ugh. You can see his image plain as day in the movie. I we'll put that up on social media. Okay. Because he is interesting. Back to Veril's story, though. Both our informant Mitch and Arthur Bell went to the police after learning the killer's name. Well, yeah. Mitch had actually gone first and notified the police, but they looked at Bateson and said that he wasn't a strong suspect because he didn't have any prior arrests. This guy is like, hey, this is my friend. He, he totally he killed, killed this, this guy. He confessed it to me. And the police are like, meh, not likely. Oh, it's so fucked up. So let's get it together, cops. Come on. I think things have changed for the better now. They ended up bringing Bateson to the station. Okay. And when the police showed up at his apartment, he said he knew exactly why they were there. Quote, for killing that guy in the village. Well, there you have it. He admitted everything to the police. He just really likes to talk. And he showed them the things that he had stolen from Veril. Oh, my goodness. So, actually, you know, despite all of this information, not a ton is known about Bateson, like, through mm-hmm. his entire life. But this is where I'm going to go into a little bit more about him. But I don't want that to be the focus. But he lived as an openly gay man. Mm-hmm. He was originally from Lansdale, Pennsylvania, and moved to New York City in October of 1964. Okay. After serving in the U.S. Army in Germany. Ah. Hence the wife and kid. Hence the wife and kid in Germany, which are never talked about again. So I just, I don't know how true that is. Hmm. Um, It was in an article, but. Yeah. You know, who knows. Uh, He frequented local cruising areas, bathhouses, and he marched in that, in the gay pride parade earlier that year with a sign that said, Anita sucks. Anita Bryant. Yeah. Who was a raging homophobe bitch? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he sir, <laughs> I, just like how, I just liked your passion about that. She was old maiden type of thing. <laughs> he <laughs> he certainly wasn't able to keep a job. His mm. alleged last known position was at the Big Top. What's uh, the Big Top? It's a male porn film theater. Uh, sorry, a male porn film and vaudeville theater on Broadway. Oh, okay. I don't think that I don't think it exists anymore. But what's interesting is that his colleague there said Paul was tender, warm, and loving, but he did everything in excess. Mm. He used to collect pills off the theater floor afterwards Ew. and just pop them in his mouth. Oh, gross! You know how you know the stuff that is on <laughs> theater floor. I you know, well, Kate, and this is a porn theater. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh no no no! Which no, you know, no. I'm all for go go do whatever you want, go watch whatever you want, but, but don't stuff, take the pills yeah, off the floor. Not off the floor, you guys, guys. No. It was reported that he enjoyed exploring the S and M and leather scenes of New York City. Sure. Bateson chalked his drinking problem up to serving in the army while he was stationed at a base in Germany. Okay, I mean, he said he was bored. Oh. Because I was going to say, I could see the drinking problem stemming from that, but sure. the boredom, I guess, I wasn't I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, I, it, wasn't anything, it wasn't anything that he saw. 
it was like that that I know of that was right. that was you know said in these articles. But so he's got a wife, he's got a kid, and he's bored. Yeah. Okay. So, to the to the bottle. Weird. All right. I mean. I mean, I'm. I I, I, I don't know. Sometimes. I we probably don't have all the details. Yeah, I'm. I'm a little. It's a little sketchy on there. But the ordeal was detailed in the October third, nineteen seventy seven issue of the Village Voice in an article by Arthur Bell titled I Killed Addison Verrill. Mm. Bateson gave an interview as well to the Village Voice newspaper to Arthur Bell, which was published on October 30th. What's funny? <laughs> I was just going to say, I wish we were playing a drinking game where every or time you said Arthur, Voice, Bell. Arthur Bell. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I'm relying on his... Um, Article. No, I totally get it. And he's so like he got the call from the killer, so yeah. he's a main character. But if we had a if we had some wine in here, Kate, yeah, we'd be. I'd be on the floor. <laughs> I'd be in one of your sweaters, probably, probably, which are very beautiful and comfortable. Thank you, Nordstrom Rack Rack. I need an outfit for a bachelorette party I'm going to next weekend. Fun. And the theme is Justin Bieber's sorry video but not the actual video like there's a video of women dancing okay to the song oh okay um and the style is that video so if anyone has any leads on an 80s windbreaker with a little pair of orange booty shorts oh I think that's what I'm gonna wear okay it sounds hot I think the idea of it is but once I put it on I'll probably be like ooh. No, you're going to be like, this was the right choice. I go out and just shake it all around the town. (laughs) You're melting down over there. (laughs) It's been a long day. I understand. Bateson gave an inner back on track. Bateson gave an interview to the Village Voice newspaper that was published on October 31st of 1977. And who wrote that article? Arthur Bell. (laughs) He agreed to the interview, provided there would be no recording of it oh okay arthur bell goes on to interview him at rikers interesting bateson is angry that he's missing the joffrey ballet stop who it was state who was in new york who was stationed in new york at this time so in the interview bateson talked about his small role in the exorcist mm. while working as an x-ray technologist at the nyu medical center He said to Bell, quote, it was sort of belated revenge on my father. What? (laughs) Where did that come from? It was sort of a belated revenge on my father since he would punish me by not allowing me to go to Saturday matinees when I was young. He made me stay home and listen to opera on the radio. Okay. Bateson's father was a retired metallurgist. Metallurgist. I don't know how to say it, honestly. I don't even know what that word is. It's the study. Study the... Metallurgists study the properties of metals and then apply their findings to practical applications such as metal production. Oh, okay. His father had remarried after his mother had died of a stroke in 1969. Mm. His brother also committed suicide that same year. Oh, God. It's horrible. So at the end of this interview article... In what paper? In The Village Voice. Written by Arthur Bell. Okay. You know, listeners, if anything... If this comes up in a trivia or on Jeopardy, you're going to know it. And it's all thanks to Kevin. And it's all thanks to me saying it literally every paragraph. (laughs) I should probably think about that as I continue to tell stories. Anywho, at the end of the article, Bell makes 
okay, so I love his coverage of all of this, but uh-huh. he makes this really gross statement that I just feel like I need to call out. Okay. And he says, like, if they, if he and Bateson had met, like, six weeks ago before anything had happened, he would have, like, totally slept with Bateson. Ooh, dude. Not necessary, Arthur. Come on, Arthur. I mean, I get, uh, I get finding someone attractive, but I don't think it needed to be printed in the paper. I I can't believe he printed that. Oh, yeah. It's like one of the last sentences. Oh, geez. In that article. So we move on from this uh, to the trial, to Bateson's, mm-hmm. to Bateson's trial for murder. During his trial in 1979, Bateson claimed he was drunk during his confession and that he was not the one who called Arthur Bell on the phone oh, to admit the murder. Oh, come on, Bateson. He ended up maintaining his innocence. Judge Morris Goldman saw right through the bullshit. Good. And sentenced him to 20 years in prison on March 5th, 1979. Okay. I don't think that's enough time. Well, no. When you murder someone... But then again, Kate, we're talking about gay men who people don't care about. Mm. So he was like, Matt, 20 years. That's fine. So during the trial, a few other interesting puzzle pieces came to light regarding a few murders of gay men in Greenwich Village at that time. Mm. For two years, between 1975 and 1977, dismembered body parts of six men wrapped in black plastic bags were washing up along the Hudson River. Oh, my God. Police were able to identify clothing on the parts as belonging to a clothing store in Greenwich Village Mm. that catered directly to gay men and the leather community. Okay. That's how they kind of figured out these are gay guys. The bodies that the parts belonged to were never identified. And oh. a murder a murderer was never apprehended for these crimes. Oh, that's awful. The string of crimes came to be known as the bag murders. And Ooh. they stopped in nineteen seventy seven when Bateson was arrested and put in prison. Interesting. Right. He allegedly confessed to the bag murders to a friend in prison. Okay. He reportedly said that killing is easy, but it's getting rid of the bodies that's the most difficult part. Oh, Bateson. Ultimately, there was no direct evidence that Bateson had anything to do with these crimes, and he was never convicted of them. They actually did come up in his court case on Verrill, uh-huh. but the judge was unable to connect them to Bateson and said Shoot. that this is like an ephemeral thing, and it just, there's no way... They didn't right have now, any evidence. We just didn't have any. They didn't have any evidence to convict him. Yeah. Ugh. William Friedkin heard about Bateson's trial and the murder of Addison Verrill. Uh huh. And he went to visit Bateson in prison. Oh wow! Just to remind people, Friedkin was the director. Of director the of The Exorcist. Bateson told Friedkin he was considering a confession of the bag murders in exchange for a lesser sentence. But I don't know how that, like, that's a weird deal. Like, um, I'll confess to six other murders if you give me less time for this one murder. Yeah, because they're just going to give you a shit ton of time for the six just, murders. Yeah. But he doesn't seem like he was I, too He's anyway. not, I don't think he's very bright. The conversation that Friedkin had with Bateson actually inspired Friedkin's next film. Oh. Which was the Al Pacino-led Cruising based on Gerald Walker's 1970 novel of the same name. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I've never seen that. So it's a very controversial... You know what gay cruising is, right, Kate? I mean, where you're, like, going to pick up people? Yeah, Yeah, like, you're basically... It's an interesting, like, subculture thing where you know you're you're not allowed to publicly go out and like find partners or meet how you know straight people would meet Mm. and 
when it came to sex, because it all had to sort of be underground, right. there's this certain, it's a certain um, method of picking people up. Okay. So it's a it's always done in designated areas. Ah, and it's usually I did not know that. You know, there's also there's the hanky code, which you would put hankies on. Were in you your the pocket. one that told me that, or did someone else tell me about I that? I did. Who just t- it might have been it might have been the guys downstairs. Oh well, anyway, like hankies, do, like the color, yeah, represents things that you're into. I sexually. literally just had a conversation about this with someone. I feel like it was the guys downstairs, but I'm not positive. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, it was an interesting time and it's, a lot of it was done and still is through eye contact uh-huh. and, you know, that's yeah. it's just a cultural thing. Yeah. But however, that movie, though, I haven't seen it, so I can't offer my own opinion, but it's seen as very controversial within the LGBTQ community, okay. especially with how it portrays like homosexuality and violence. Mm, okay. So I, I want to watch it, but knowing that I just I never do because I'm like, I don't feel like engaging with something that. You know, if you're not going to get it right. But apparently it's a really good movie. Okay. Um, Bateson was actually released on parole. Ugh, after t- serving 23 years in prison on August 25th, 2003. Well, I thought he only got 20 years. I know, but he, for some reason it was for 23, maybe. I mean, that can be up to anything, right? Like if you do things in prison or if you get time added to your sentence hmm. for, you know, things that happen when you're at, Interesting. I don't, I, I, I genuinely don't know why it was that long. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure information might be out there, but everything I read didn't allude to, yeah. to why it was longer. I think some articles I read even said 24 years, huh. but his parole ended five years later, like after after getting out okay. he was on parole for five years and then that ended and then he sort of fell off the face of the earth and Friedkin mentioned in an interview I think in you know I think it was to 2018 or around that time that he had heard Bateson had previously been living in upstate New York but and no and no nothing is known of him after that so we don't know if he's still alive well, or but Oh. Um, Social Security death records indicate ah. that a Paul F. Bateson died in Pennsylvania, which okay. is his home state, mm-hmm. on September 15th, 2012. Okay. So was that him? Probably. But it's not. That's yeah. alleged. Like, it's not and he, confirmed. And if that was him, he would have been how old? He was born. He was born in. 35? What oh, time? What he was 38 when he committed the murder in 1977. He would have been 73. Okay. Uh, and here's a sentence that I should have added in earlier that I found at the end of my notes that okay. said <laughs> he detailed his alcoholism to. Guess to who, Kate? He detailed his. He talked about his alcoholism to. Oh, Arthur Bell. Who worked for. The Village Voice. Saying that he would drink a minimum of a quart of vodka a day. A quart of vodka a Mm -hmm. day? Mm -hmm. Minimum. Oh my goodness. And that is the murder of Addison Verrill by Paul Bateson, who appeared briefly in William Friedkin's 1973 movie, The Exorcist. Now I feel like I want to go back and just see that scene. Isn't that crazy, though? Like, he just happened to be working that day, and that's how he was in that movie. Yeah. I mean, he got fired from that, like, it sounds like pretty soon afterwards. Mm. But let me pull up this picture. Yeah, it's that guy. Oh, Oh, Bateson, I you're I don't like the looks of you. A gay alcoholic that killed a nice guy. Oh, yeah, and it sounds like Addison Verrill was just like the toast. Also, of the there's town. nothing wrong with being gay and struggling with alcoholism, but when you kill people, 
that's when it's the murder up. is the, the problem. murder is the problem yeah i just want to say that because we all have our issues didn't you say there was one other serial killer yes so there is another murder connected to this and it has to do with mercedes mccambridge oh and her son apparently her son um murdered his family and then killed himself oh shit so just to remind people mercedes 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 mccambridge was the voice of the demon in the exorcist did was she murdered by her son? No, no 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 just his he killed his family and then killed himself Oh, my God. It's not super directly connected. It's just mm-hmm. kind of in the same sphere. Right. That's wild. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Don't do murder, people. Don't drink a quart of vodka a That's day. That's a lot. Like, we're going to play a drinking game tonight, and I'm already a little nervous because I'm a lightweight. Well, I have two quarts in my backpack. I'm just kidding. Oh, I was like, you didn't have Sorry. to bring it. I have booze. And I just start pulling out vodka bottles. <laughs> Some empty, some not. Oh, my. Oh. All right. We're going to go to dinner. Yay. We're going to get sushi. Yeah. And then we're going to come back and we're going to play a drinking game and we're going to videotape it. And we're going to probably put it on the Patreon. Uh, yeah. So that's going to be fun. It's We've had a lot of recordings tonight. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube at Horrorwood Podcast. Or email us at horrorwoodpodcast.gmail.com. And if you want to jump on Patreon, then you can do that at patreon.com slash horrorwoodpodcast. Woo woo. Till next time. Bye, Miss Dudes. <laughs>